Good morning. It's Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our journey into the final countdown in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. The name of this lesson is entitled The Woman and the Dragon. So we're moving into the second half of the book of Revelation today. The second portion opens with an amazing vision of some great wonders in the, on the heavens. So let me remind you again that the book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. Chapters 4 through 9 take us all the way through the end of the tribulation period. Chapters 10 through 11 are passages that act as a parenthesis in the action. They reveal some of the behind-the-scenes activities of the Lord. Chapter 11 takes us to the very edge of eternity. It closes with the Lord Jesus claiming his rightful dominion over this universe and reveals as the inhabitants of that glorious land praises their king. Chapters 12 through 19 take us back through the tribulation once again. So while chapters 4 through 9 deal with the timeline or the plan of the tribulation, chapters 12 through 19 deal with the characters or the people of the tribulation. Again, 4 through 9 is the plan, 12 through 19 is the people. So we're introduced to some of the individuals who will figure greatly during that period of time. So we're going to tread once again on ground that we've already visited. As one writer said in Revelation 4-9, we see the events of the tribulation through a telescope. In Revelation 12-19, through 19, we see things through a microscope. In other words, we're about to get a more detailed look at the events of this period. What is said in chapter 12 is essential to the proper understanding of what is going to be said in the rest of the book. If we misinterpret things here, we're going to be off track for the rest of the way through Revelation. So let's read from God's word, the woman and the dragon. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of 1,260 days. Wow. So let's look at these six important verses today and see that the truths that are revealed here, I want to preach on the subject 
the woman and the dragon. The primary characters of this passage are just that. So let's see what we can learn about them today. First of all, let's look at the personality of the woman. The identity of this poor woman has been the subject of debate and false doctrine for centuries. So let me share some of these with you. There's some in the Roman Catholic Church that have said that this woman is Mary. Let's look at this carefully. There are several reasons why this cannot be true. Mary never ascended into heaven. Mary gave birth on earth and not in heaven. So you can't sandwich Mary into verse 6. You can't do it. Some believe that the woman is the church. Just remember this. It was Christ the man-child that gave birth to the church and not the other way around. So this cannot be the church. Now I'll throw a little bit of humor in here. There's a woman by the name of Mary Baker Patterson Glover Eddy that claims she was the woman and that the religion she gave birth to in 1879, Christian science, was the man-child. For the sake of time, let me just revert to some, some East Tennessee language here and just say it ain't her either. So who is this mysterious woman? The clues given in the text tell us all that we need to know about her identity. First of all, her description. The woman is clothed with the sun. This speaks of heavenly glory. The moon is under her feet. This speaks of dominion and power. She wears a crown. This speaks of royalty. The 12 stars speak of the 12 tribes of Israel. So from the, the work that I have done and the study I have done, there is no, this woman can be none other than the nation of Israel. I think this is borne out by a couple of Old Testament passages. The first tells us of a dream that Joseph had thousands of years ago in Genesis 37 verses 9 through 11. It is obvious from Jacob's reaction to Joseph's dream that the sun, moon, and stars represent the nation of Israel. Remember why I said the Old Testament always points forward to Jesus Christ? That's exactly what it's doing here. The second passage is Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. There, the seed of Abraham is compared to stars. Somebody out there is saying, you're stretching it here, preacher. I assure you that I am not. This verse reminds us of what we already know to be true. God is not finished with Israel. He chose them out of the nations of the earth for his purposes, and he has not written them off forever. They will once again be clothed with glory and have dominion over the earth. Let's look at her destiny. The woman here is in the throes of childbirth. She is in great pain and anguish as she tries to bring her child into the world. We're told in verse 5 that her son is to be the ruler of the world. This is in reverence to the Messiah, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll say more about him in just a moment. For now, let's keep our focus on this woman. You see, the picture of Israel in childbirth reminds us that it was the nation of Israel God used to bring his Savior into the world. Jesus Christ is Jewish. 
In Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, he is called both the son of David and the son of Abraham. When God gave the great prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The woman is Israel, and the seed of this woman is the Lord Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the other Adam. Again, Romans chapter 9, verses 4 through 5 says, Who are Israelites? To them pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Who, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Jesus Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So, it was the nation of Israel that God chose to be the woman to whose womb from which he would send his son into the world. Did you notice this woman was in pain, labor pain? She is in labor and she brings forth this son with pain and suffering. You know, this calls to mind all the pains and persecutions suffered by Israel as Satan has tried his best to short-circuit the plan of God. In fact, when Jesus was born, the nation of Israel was writhing under the iron heel of the Roman Empire. So this expectant woman is Israel who brought the Messiah into the world. She paid a price for that privilege. That was her destiny. Let's look at the personality of this woman. And let's look at the persecutor of this woman. You see, there's the personality of the dragon. I want you to visualize here. Because the next vision is that of a great red dragon who has seven heads and ten hordes and seven crowns on his heads. Let's take this description of the dragon and break it down symbol by symbol. The red is the color of war and bloodshed. It brings to mind the red horse of Revelation chapter 6 verse 4. This dragon is a killer. He brings death, war, and bloodshed with him when he comes. Dragon. A dragon is a winged serpent. There is no such thing in our natural world. It is a picture of the devil. In fact, we're very safe in identifying the dragon and the devil because of Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Seven heads. Seven heads speak of vast intelligence. We are dealing with a brilliant and wise creature. You know, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12 said, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Vast intelligence. Then there are ten horns. See, horns are used as a symbol of power. Satan is not all-powerful, but his power is vast. The number ten may refer to a ten-nation kingdom that will figure greatly during the last days. Then there are seven crowns. Crowns are a symbol of authority. Satan is still the god of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Then there's the pollution of the dragon. The reference to the stars of heaven being cast down to the earth by the tail of the dragon refers back 
to the fall of Satan. He's not always been an evil creature. In the beginning, he was one of the ranking angels in heaven. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 15, bear that out. But pride was found in Lucifer's heart, and he tried to take God's throne. He tried to overthrow the Lord. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Lucifer sinned and became Satan. He was cast out of heaven. Isaiah 14, verse 15. Ezekiel 28, verses 16 through 18. And when Lucifer fell, he drew one-third of the angels of heaven into his rebellion. They were cast out of heaven as well. We call these fallen angels demons. They're a part of Satan's kingdom, and they do his bidding. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. So let's look at the plan of the dragon. Satan is pictured as standing before Israel waiting for the birth of her child. His attention is to destroy the seed of the woman as soon as he is born. You know, Satan has worked from the beginning of time in order to prevent the birth of the promised seed of the woman. Let's look at this. Satan moved Cain to kill Abel, thinking he could stop God's plan. He did not know that God would send Seth. He tried to corrupt the human bloodline by having the godly line of Seth intermarry with the evil line of Cain. He didn't know about Noah and the ark. He aroused Esau to anger so that Jacob might be killed. He didn't know that God would help J Jacob escape. He tried to kill off the Jews in Egypt by having Pharaoh slay all the little boys. He didn't know that God would save a little boy named Moses who would lead the people out of Egypt. He tried to lead Israel away into idolatry, thinking God would destroy the nation. He did not see God sending them into captivity where he would forever rid them of their idols. You see, Satan failed in every attempt to stop the birth of Christ. And when the time came for Jesus to enter the world, Satan did everything everything in his power to slay the Christ child when he was an infant. He moved Herod to destroy all the babies in Bethlehem under the age of two. Matthew chapter 2 verses 16 through 18. Wow. Let's look at the progeny of this woman. The seed of the woman is described as being a man child. The seed of the woman came into the world like every other baby. He came from the womb of his mother. But this child, unlike any other child that ever or ever would be born, was different. You see, the seed of the woman was born without a human father. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. His mother was a virgin. Isaiah seven fourteen and Luke 1, 34. And he was and is God in human flesh. John chapter 1 verse 1. It is clear that the seed of the woman is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the seed of the woman and, his, and the destiny of her offspring. His destiny is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This man child would come into the world and he would one day rule that world. We see this prophecy fulfilled in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. He will rule for several reasons. First, he will rule because he created this universe and it is his. 
Second, he will rule because he purchased this world with his own blood when he died on the cross. Third, he will rule because he alone is worthy to rule and reign. Let's look at his deliverance. The man-child is pictured being caught up to God and to the throne of God. Here's the good news of the gospel contained in this verse. Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, but he did not stay dead. He arose from the dead three days later. And after he arose from the dead, he ascended back to heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He will not stay there forever. He is returning for his bride very soon. Then he will come to defeat his enemies and assume his rightful place as a king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's look at the protection of this woman. We see her distress. We see that the woman flees from the dragon. She goes away into the wilderness to hide. We are reminded here that Satan hates the nation of Israel. He has tried to defeat her and destroy her since she first appeared. I think I've already touched on this. No other nation on the face of this earth has suffered as much as Israel. No other race has been persecuted as have the Jews. The history of the Old Testament is filled with story after story of nations coming against Israel to destroy it. Its pages of history are filled with hatred, persecution, racism, and murder, all named at a Jew. Just a generation ago, there was a man by the name of Adolf Hitler that did his best to destroy the Jew in what he called the final solution. He was also there with someone that the, that the history books in the United States don't talk about, the Grand Mufti. I urge you to look on YouTube and look up the Grand Mufti, M-U-F-T-I, I guarantee you in Israel they teach about the Grand Mufti because the Grand Mufti was none other than a Palestinian who cut a deal with Hitler to destroy the Jewish people. And no, I'm not smoking crack. This is absolutely the truth. And this is, was given to me by a friend of mine who served in the IDF and was in the Six-Day War. And this is something that they teach in Israel. But they don't teach it in American history books. But neither one of them did destroy Israel. They did manage to murder over 6 million in the death camps of Nazi Germany. Joseph Stalin killed millions in the gulags of the Soviet Union. The Jews suffered, but the Jew has survived. They have survived because of the providence of God. I keep saying this, he is not through with Israel. The only way to get rid of the Jew is to drag the sun, moon, and stars from their places in heaven. You know, the hatred against the Jewish people is growing stronger in our day as the Muslim nations of the Middle East cry for the destruction of Israel. This hatred will continue to grow into the tribulation period. And during that time, the Antichrist will bring persecution on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people like nothing they have ever experienced. When that persecution arises, Israel will seek refuge. This was prophesied by the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. Yet they will survive that too 
because God has a plan for them. You see, Satan hates Israel for two reasons. He hates Israel because she is a constant reminder to him that his power is limited. Unlike God, Satan can only be in one place at once. God can be everywhere at any time and all time. Satan is angry because he attempts to destroy Israel and time and time again she is delivered by the power of God. Satan hates that. He also hates her because she is a constant reminder to him of the glory he used to wear. The glory of heaven rests on Israel just as it used to rest on him. Let's look at her deliverance. Israel will find refuge in a wilderness place. I've heard some say that this could be the ancient Edomite city of Petra. The city is surrounded by towering hills of rust-colored sandstone, which gave the city some natural protection against invaders. The entrance into Petra is through what's called the Sig, a ravine enclosed by immense walls that reach hundreds of feet at places. Its layout makes a good place to hide and seek shelter. See, back in the 1920s, there was a man in the U.S. whose name was W.E. Blackstone. The man was so certain that Petra would be the secret hideout of Jews during the tribulation that he invested $8,000 to place boxes of Bibles in all the caves in Petra so that the Jews would have some interesting reading when they were hiding there from the ravages of war. Now, I don't know if this will be the place where they will seek shelter or not, but there will be a place prepared for them by God that will give them protection from the Antichrist and his armies, all energized by Satan and his hatred for Christ and the people from whom he came. We're told that in this wilderness, the refuge of the people of Israel will be taken care of. We do not know who they are who will feed the Jews, but we do know that for the last half of the tribulation period, 1,260 days, Israel will be cared for. In spite of the sin, in spite of the hatred and the evil of those days, God will see to the needs of his people. He will either use friendly nation or supernatural means, but when the tribulation ends and Jesus returns, there will be a remnant of the nation of Israel left. These faithful Jews will embrace the Lord Jesus and they will worship him as their Messiah. See, the Jews are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. According to Jewish Talmud, Jews are obligated not only to believe in the Messiah, but to yearn for his arrival. Many traditional Jews recite a creed that concludes with this statement, I believe with perfect faith in the advent of the Messiah, and though he may tarry, I will wait his arrival every day. During the Jewish Passover, the Passover meal, there's a tradition of opening the door for Elijah, who will precede the coming of the Messiah. You see, what they don't understand is that the Messiah has already come, and his name is Jesus. The nation of Israel gave birth to their long-awaited Messiah, yet they failed to recognize him. John said in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And Elijah has also already come. He was to come before Jesus, and he did. Remember in the Bible where it says, Who do men think that I am? 
And some think that, and it was answered, said, some think that you're Elijah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, Elijah has already come, and they knew him not. And the apostles knew that he spake of John the Baptist. You see, the Messiah died on Calvary's cross. He was buried and rose from the dead on the third day and was caught up to heaven where he awaits the hour when he will come back to rule and reign upon the earth. That is the truth that these verses emphasize. God has a plan for the ages and that plan will be worked out in his way in his time. So are you part of God's plan? Have you trusted Jesus as your savior? Have your sins been washed away by the blood of the crucified and risen Lord? Are you saved? Are you living for him as you should? Are you thankful that he saved your soul? I'd like you to consider your relationship with him. You might want to start with thanking him for saving you. For those who are in the sound of my voice, I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Dear God, the architect of the universe, our gracious Lord, we come to you today in solemn prayer. God, you are truly amazing. Even in these horrible times in Revelation, you're still in the business of saving souls and offering forgiveness. Lord, if there be anyone today that has accepted you but not lived a Christian life, Father, I ask that you speak to their heart and chasten them to return to you. Father, we know that the angels in heaven rejoice over one single soul that returns to you. How great is your name, Father. Father, if there be anyone that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you speak to their heart. Lord, we know that nothing is free. Nothing is free. Lord, you offer us salvation through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the price for our sins, from the first sin of man all the way down through the ages to the end as we know it. God, please, Lord, lead them to you now. Make a way for them. Remove all the obstacles from their path. Show them that there's nothing, nothing that can separate us from your love. The only thing that separates us from salvation, God, is our own stupid pride and behavior. Lord, bless us today. For this prayer, O oh God, we pray in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if anyone made a decision today, we'd like to know about it. Please send an email to ministry at christlives.org or visit us on the web at www.christ-lives.org and click on our contact page. May God be with you. Amen.